Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with John Norid. John is a retired Marine, a combat veteran with tours to Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and many others. He served mainly in the infantry and special operations. After John left the Marines, he struggled with issues stemming from traumatic brain injury and PTSD. As a result, he attempted suicide, went through a very traumatic and nasty divorce, to which he was charged with a crime. He lost $4.3 million and went to prison. Upon release from prison, things were looking good. He was on the road to recovery, healing from traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress, created a business, and was able to reach out and help others, in particular, veterans, pro-athletes, first responders, and cancer patients. Then, in 2022, he was diagnosed with stage 2 colon cancer. He hit a wall, but at that point in his life, all he wanted was to live. He chose to fight and beat his cancer through fitness, nutrition, and holistic healing, along with a kick-ass mindset of not failing. John is a resilience and life coach project manager, and loves to run marathons and ultra marathons. I look forward to sharing my conversation with John, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. Dot com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Fault Center, who makes the show possible. Hi, John. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm so happy to talk to you today. Thanks, Haley. And I greatly appreciate you having me on this platform. I'm honored. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your service. And I just wanted to hear more about your story. What made you get into the Marines? Oh, that, that was, uh, it's an interesting one. I, I was born and raised, I lived in Georgia, West Virginia, and Ohio. Those are the three states that are near and dear to my heart. Mostly in very rural communities, farms, hunting, fishing was a kind of a way of life. I wanted to go to college early on, and not many people in my family did. Um, nobody had money for the college. My thing was, you know, I could work for it, go to the military or work hard to get an athletic or academic scholarship. Um, I was blessed with both. I was able to get an academic and a, uh, wrestling scholarship to the Ohio state university. Go Buckeyes. Go Bucks. Unfortunately, at the end of my freshman year, 
sports wise, I was doing good. Um, I ignored my grades, didn't show up for class, that kind of thing. And I lost my scholarship. So I didn't want to go home without nothing. So I drove to Cleveland and I saw the, you know, uh, armed forces recruiting. I knew I'd always wanted to serve in the military. I just, my plan was that I was going to do college first, but kind of got derailed. And I went into the, uh, I saw the Marines standing out front and, uh, that was it. And I went in there and, uh, little did I know boot camp wasn't all that fun, but I could tell you that I just, I fell in love with the Marine Corps, the structure, the culture. I found a family that I never had. I found friends that I can't even put into words and it just clicked. And I just, I didn't want to do anything else. I couldn't see doing anything else. Well, then, you know, it is meant to be, that's for sure. You had a, a calling. Yeah, you don't do it for the money. I can tell you that. Um, but there is a love of it that it gets, it's, you either love it, you hate it, but everybody, whether you serve four years or 40 years, always has a positive experience from it. It's something that you can't put into words, the amount of friends and the people you get to exposed to and, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, all the things and experiences you have, you bring, you learn so much and become such a worldly type person. I think it was just, uh, I, I'm beyond grateful that the Marine Corps even allowed me to serve so long and to be a part of them. Um, I was honored. It was such a great trip. And you served for, was it 20 years or how long? I did 16 on active, a few years in the reserves, and then I continued to serve in a capacity as a uh, defense contractor, what we call Department of Defense uh, uh, Security and Private Security Contractor. Uh, some people call it paramilitary, however you want to word it, um, that kind of capacity. So it was kind of something that was, you know, almost 30 years of my life was involved in that. Um, in between that, I did construction and other contracts and tried various jobs out, depending on my education and where I was at. Nothing was really fitting, though. Yeah, I mean, I would love to hear more about the time that you served because, you know, like the introduction said, you you went through a traumatic brain injury and you went through a lot. So if you could just tell us a little more. Yeah, I um, I started off in the very early 90s, 1990, 1991. And uh, 90s were kind of up and down with small, you know, you had, uh, everybody remembers, you know, Somalia. And then we had, you know, Sierra Leone. We had uh, Kosovo, Bosnia, Herzegovina, a lot of the stuff that was there. So they were these low reeled stuff. I was involved intricately with some of those. Um, the changing event for me was 9-11. It was a day that changed my entire life and course of my career. And it's one of those things where we always, you can be a pro athlete, you're sitting on the bench and you're like, Hey coach, put me in a game. And now it's, it's game time. You know, this is the way the military is, is what you trained for. Now we're going to go do it. And the first thing in the back of your mind is this paralyzing fear that this is for real. This isn't a training exercise. You know, we are going to go into a fight now. When we first got into Afghanistan, you know, we, nobody even knew there was on the map. Most of us were just, you know, wow, where, where is this place? And didn't know the history of it or anything. And it was different. It was unique. And then I did not think that the war would last as long as it did. And it just seemed like it was never ending. And that the cycle became uh, vicious. You would be out for seven, eight months, come home for three months and back out again. We were uh, the some of the fighting between Afghanistan and Iraq could be, you know, absolutely terrifying. Um, it was pretty rough combat. We lost a lot of friends, a lot of good people. 
Um, each time I came back from that tour, it, was, it got harder and harder to adjust and harder and harder to feel uh, normal. But I, I went back because I wasn't a warmonger. It wasn't that kind of a sense of, it was a sense of duty to my, my brothers. You know, I owed it to them to keep them alive. I had to be downrange. I couldn't live with myself if I was here and they were there. So it was one of those types of a calling. Um, when I got severely wounded, um, it kind of ended my career. Um, I was struck by an RPG to the head. I took a skull fracture. Um, that was one of, of several blast injuries that I was exposed to, but this one was the worst. And I started to have a lot of issues with traumatic brain injury that I, I didn't want to admit to. And the Marine Corps moved me into the reserves to kind of help me out with that. To me, it was a death sentence being at a desk. <laughs> um, there's a big spar between active duty and reservists. We two totally different worlds. They don't mesh well. So I kind of was like, all right, that's it. I put my so-called retirement walking papers in and um, bounced around. Couldn't really find jobs that fit me. And a close friend of mine um, told me about you know the private security sector. Uh, They're looking for people with certain skill sets. Those of us that come out of the infantry or, or special operations community, um, the pay was unbelievably nice. <laughs> it was you're making ten times what you knew it as a as a as a staff and CEO in the military, so it was quite nice. It allowed me to I could play that commando role for six, seven, eight months, come home and then play a normal role where I was, you know, contracting out to other jobs, starting a business with friends, doing stuff with construction and project management. So I was kind of being able to play the best of both worlds, kind of have my cake and eat it too. But I wasn't addressing issues, issues with my marriage, issues with myself, my traumatic brain injury, my PTSD, my excessive drinking, taking every pill that I could get my hands on. I wasn't addressing those issues. And they wound up to bite me. And, you know, on this, I had this facade where I had the nice house. I had the nice wife. I had all the toys. On the outside, I looked successful. On the inside, I was miserable. I was dying. And I was trying not to bring the worm home, but it kept coming home and infecting everything. And then it just blew up. And um, my interactions with the law, my problems with, you know, with my drinking, along with the pills, along with a violent attitude, being angry. Um, I did do time in prison. Um, it gave me a time to reflect and to change. And then, you know, I went on this path of self-healing, of learning about traumatic brain injury and PTS and how to handle it and how to heal. And, and I know it sounds cliche, but I found God. I got myself back right with God. So long story short on this is I, I went from this guy who was this apex, you know, we were type A personality, you know, alpha male, alpha wolf. Um, did not have, I, I didn't believe in God. I didn't like God. I was mad because of the war I saw. I hated people. I hated myself. And I didn't want to live. I just have a quick question about that. Yes, ma'am. Oh, just a quick question how you said you hated people. I mean, you obviously loved your brothers in, yes. in combat, but you couldn't relate to other people. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Civilians, family, friends. I didn't feel like I fit with them, whereas with my fellow brothers, it was just a connection. I didn't have to talk. You know, grunts are called grunts because I can look at another brother and go, uh, and he gets it or he knows your mood. I would come home and I couldn't even talk to my wife. I didn't know how to talk to her. I didn't know how to communicate. I couldn't answer her questions. I couldn't, I had issues with intimacy. I didn't want to be touched. 
So there was a there was a huge friction there. You come home and you can't write your check, you can't pay your bills or walk through a grocery store without having a panic attack. But yet you put me down range and everything clicks and everything works. And you know the the prospect of getting hurt or dying is just foreign to you. It just you just don't care. Um, and when you come home, it's like you're forced to. And then you fast forward. Now I look back, and now here I have this uh, infinite love for God. I love people. I love being around people. I love having people around me. Um, I actually like myself now. I'm not punching out mirrors or pulling mirrors off the walls. I like who I am and where I'm going. And really quick, how did that change for you? It, that was in prison where you really did a lot of self-reflection? I think it started before that. It started actually around 2013, 2014 timeframe. I, when I was going through the divorce, you're looking for answers. You're looking for a way out. And all the trauma, all the trauma was coming into a culmination point. And then I was going into divorce. And then I was having issues with business partners. And I was losing business. Then fighting a criminal case on top of that. It was so much that I just, I wanted to end it all. But at the same time, something in the back of my head, you know, there's a reason here. You're, you're, you have a reason that you're here. You, you have a purpose. But when you're in the base of that darkness, it's hard to understand what that purpose is and what to see. And it's hard to understand it. But something came over me. And even though I kind of accepted the sentence that was sentenced down to me, I, I accepted my time. You know, I, I was at fault. I was an idiot. I let my anger take over. And I started realizing I need to change. I need to understand what traumatic brain injury is and why I have these symptoms. And is there, what can I do? Understand PTSD and PTS and understand how do I live with it? How do I change from this? I'm tired of being tired. I'm sick and tired of being angry. I'm sick and tired of being depressed. What do I do? And part of it was scripture. Part of it was self-healing and self-identification. Another part of it was being brutally honest with myself and facing my truths, all my good, bad, and ugly, all my fears, and then pushing through them. And then when I got out, I met these amazing people, not just, you know, but veterans that had gone through the same thing, made the same mistakes. Uh, the VA was there. I wouldn't give them full credit. They're getting better, but they're not where they need to be. But I got more help through veterans. And I found a way to get this, what we call entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial spirit. I've always been a business minded. And so I knew coming out of prison that people, a lot of times they say second chances, but they don't actually do it. You know, you can't find a place to live. You can't get a job. You, you were this tag on you. So what I decided to do was I'll beat them at their own game. And I, you know, I found my own place. It's not much, but it's a room to rent. And I went ahead and started my own company. I figured you're not going to hire me. I'll hire myself. So I had to, you have to be your own self-advocate. But I was, I couldn't have done all this. I think the first thing I learned is I, when I tried to do it by myself, I, I failed. When I built a tribe and I built like-minded people around me and I created my new family, that's when I realized you can't do this alone. So you have a support group. Then you start building tools and so on and so forth. And things don't get any easier. And you're going to have bad days, but you have less bad days and more good days. And then I took a kick to the teeth with the, when I got told I had cancer. <laughs> right. I mean, you went through all this stuff and then you hear that. I just quickly want to ask you, because I know you mentioned it and people are going to be curious. So you went to jail due to your divorce or, or due to something that happened before the divorce? Yeah, it was all a combination. So we had a divorce. There was, um, she had been seeing somebody else and I didn't agree with it. 
and um, I attacked him out of anger, out of self-righteousness, whatever you want to call it in our system. You know, I was I was a jerk. I, I wanted my cake and eat it, too. I didn't understand everything. I pushed her away. Then I wanted her back and I pushed her away. And she got tired of it and, and found somebody that she, you know, could connect with more. And instead of giving him a hug and telling her, congratulations, have a nice life. I acted out in a very, uh, very dumb manner and um, not proud of it, not a proud moment at all, but I own up to it. And I understand now so much more that there are two sides to everything and but two wrongs don't make a right. You know what she was doing and what I was doing. We should have just went our separate ways. Instead, we collided and we let our anger, our emotions take over. And then you throw in alcohol and pills and it's just the recipe for disaster. And, you know, it's one of those things where I've had it had I had the tools that I had now. I had to have the understanding I had now. Have I understood how I the thought process? You know, we have this thing where this cognitive distortions where, you know, your thoughts will control your emotions, which will control your behavior. And when you start to realize that, oh, hey. I you know, it takes a hard, it takes a lot to sit there and go, I was a jerk. I was not a good person. And I was not meant for that. There was a time when I was a good person. What happened to him? War changes you and it changes you permanently and forever. But in order to win this battle, I had to address that issue of the war. I had to put it to rest. I had to say that you took it away from me. Now I'm going to take it from you. I'm going to win this battle. I'm tired of being this way. I don't, this isn't the John that I remember. This isn't the John that grew up that, that young boy that loved everybody, loved life, was the life of the party, was this comedian who could make anybody laugh and light up a room. And now I'm this miserable, spiteful, hateful, angry guy. And I'm like, that's not you. You need to get back to what you were. You need to get back to your roots. Good for you. Cause some people don't go that route. I mean, they don't, look at themselves and, and say, you know, I really need to make some changes to be the best possible person I can. So I kudos to you because I know it wasn't easy. Change is never easy. And it's usually, it gets easier, but it's never easy. We always have a, we all, our first instinct is if, you know, we are comfortable, we get complacent. And now my new mantra, when it comes to this whole resiliency thing, especially now with the cancer is get comfortable doing uncomfortable things. I had to go back to what my, my training was like, you know, we used to have this training where it's just, you're, you're just miserable. Life, life is not good. And we have it where we embrace the suck. You get to do, you embrace it. You embrace the pain and the misery and you own it. And then you take up to a, you build a little bit of a comedic, whether it's dark or lighthearted, however you want to put it. And you get that com com that comedy in there and that commonality. And you build this resiliency to where you're like, you get so comfortable at being uncomfortable, so comfortable at doing uncomfortable things. Change starts to become wanted, not fought against. You look forward to change. You look forward to things. And if it's hard, the more hard it is, the harder it is, the more complex it is, the more grateful you are, the more blessed you are, the more you suffer, the more you see things. And there is this, this euphoric thing that comes from suffering, you know, um, and it's, I don't know, it's just hard to put it in words. I like, kind of like when you do, you know, people ask me, why do you run? I was like, well, why do you breathe? I need running like you need air. And I know ultra marathons are not everybody's thing. You know, running a hundred plus miles to most people is like, hey, that's insane. You're right. It is insane. And it hurts really bad. <laughs> but what an accomplishment to sit there and go, 
I just ran a hundred miles. And at about mile 50 or 60, I had such a euphoric high. I was having a conversation with a palm tree. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, mentioned that you got through all of this and we're in a really good place. And then you were diagnosed with colon cancer and, you know, just a couple questions about that. Well, first I wanted to ask you, what were your symptoms? How did you find out that you had this? Well, I had been an athlete my entire life, an elite warrior and fitness and nutrition was always the focal point of my life. I was very careful what I ate and stuff, or at least I thought it was. And you know, we all have our things and, but I've always been a, a fitness nut and a health nut. And you know, when you're an, an, an elite warrior or an elite athlete, you know when something's not right. And I was having, you know, I've been having uh, stomach issues for since 2004 and started to continue getting worse. For every, you know, I didn't know if it was an ulcer or if it was Crohn's disease or something, but there was a lot going on. And tests were showing that, you know, my, my blood tests were coming back and they were not looking good. And then, you know, um, I started having other issues and then I was having issues with my bowel movements and then I was having a lot of blood. So there was these signs that were all there. So I did the the test and they said it came back positive. So we're going to go ahead and do a a colonoscopy. When they did the colonoscopy, um, apparently the, the two that I had previously, they were only looking for colorectal cancer and mine, unfortunately, as I always have to be the square peg round hole. They found mine where your ascending and your, your small intestine and your ascending large intestine actually connect. So it was at first, you know, when, when they, you know how when you're in that, that state where they, they kind of drug you up, but you're still awake for the colonoscopy. And the lady that was doing it, the sweetheart of a lady, she goes, I want you to understand something. We found something and it doesn't look good. And I was just, you know, you're kind of out of it a little bit. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Cool. Just, and she's like, well, I'm going to remove it. I'm like, cool. You know, <laughs> let's do it. A week later, my doctor calls me from the VA and says, um, Hey, can you, you come in? Can we, and they never, this is the VA. They never just, you know, have you have a, that fast having a meeting. And I'm like, sure. I get in there and, uh, first time, you know, I go right through the nurse's station and I go right into the doctor's office and on the screen, he goes, I have the oncologist on standby. I knew right away before he even came out of his mouth. I just like, I got kicked in the chest and he said the results from your colonoscopy and, and the removal, he said, we think we got it all, but we're pretty sure that, you know, this came back as positive and we're, we're looking at us stage two. I didn't know what the hell he meant. I was like, okay, so stage one, stage two, what, what are, what's the difference and all this. And he kind of gave this cryptic gray explanation. But when he told me I had cancer at the time, you know, my family is not here. I don't really have a lot of friends and I never felt so alone and so isolated in my life. And, um, that was hard. And I was like, here, I I'm, everything's going great. I have this life. I'm trying to help people. And I'm like, you just, you know, I just got hit. I didn't know what to say at first. And uh, I remember walking out. I, I felt numb. I got to my truck in the parking lot of the VA. And I started crying. And I'm like, I, I'm not dying like this. You know, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, they didn't kill me. Prison didn't kill me. All right. All right, cancer. F you. You don't have a snowball chance. You're not dealing. You're not winning. I'm going to win this no matter what. Well, you may take my body, but you're not going to take my soul. You're not going to take my heart. You're not going to take what I can. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to either beat you or live a good life up until the time it, you know, the inevitable happens. 
And um, that was right there, right then and there. I started doing my research. I, it's funny how we, we know friends and families that have cancer. We've seen people go through it. It's prolific in our society. And we always think we know. And then you have this diagnosis. And then when you actually have cancer, you realize, oh, wow, I didn't know a damn thing. And you start doing the research and you start looking. And doctors, I'm not going to hit doctors up because they do a great job, but they're sometimes cryptic. And you look online and there's a lot of stuff that's good and bad. <laughs> so be careful. Right. I learned and I started to look at alternative things because I, I just didn't agree with the, the pharmaceuticals. I'm not a big fan of big pharma. Not going to get in a political stance here. I'm just not a big fan. Did they, did they tell you, okay, you need chemotherapy and whatever else? Or Mine was actually, they gave me a choice, which I didn't know you had. They, I basically, they said they were pretty sure they got everything out on the surgery, that they had removed all of the tissues and cancerous cells in the, in the cyst that was there because it wasn't a big spot. And they made it sound like stage two was no big deal. But when I looked it up online, it's kind of important, kind of a serious deal. And I wasn't sure that, it, you know, I think there was something mentioned about early stage Crohn's disease and stuff like that. So what I think that shocked me the most was they said that this can come back when they tell you, Hey, you know, there's an 80 to 90% chance this could reoccur in the next three to five years. Then I got my eyes open and I'm like, okay, so this is some scary stuff. This isn't just a run of the mill, but they took it out with surgery. They gave me the option to do a run of chemo, but I didn't have to do like other people did where, you know, I see people that were doing chemo, radiation and cancer drugs. Um, I thought that was just a normal route, but then I realized it, it depends on the type of cancer, the type of stages, stuff like that. So I had a lot to learn, but I also had to, I felt, I was grateful, but I felt bad in a lot of ways because I would go down there to receive my low yield chemo. You know, I'm just getting a little bit and there's people that were going through so much that I just, whew, I just felt like, um, I didn't know how to put it in words, but I, I just, I felt terrible <laughs> because it was like, I'm basically just doing this for choice just to make sure it doesn't come back. And I just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's hard. You see the people and they were, and these people were stage three, stage four, the advanced stages of stage four. They, they were taking, they would do chemo. Then they would have to do radiation. And then they had all these drugs that I couldn't even pronounce. And I just, and yet they were smiling. They were laughing. They were making jokes. And I'm like, you guys are awesome. I don't belong here. It's <laughs> <You know? laughs> amazing. And there was something there that I grasped to. Yeah. I met some of the, I tell people all the time, I said, I meet, you know, when it comes to veterans, yes. And then when it comes to, there's other people in your life and, and the cancer patients that I met struck a chord with me to where I never cried so much. I never smiled so much. I never laughed so much. They just are such a unique people that they have, they're going through this horrific stuff. And they're still smiling, you know, they're still making jokes, you know, so. Such a beautiful lesson. Yes. Yeah. The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfulcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series 
where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at thecarfulcenter.com. You know, how do you feel that your time in the military helped you in your cancer, you know, overcoming cancer? You know, grateful. Um, I was always very, very proud of my service. And there's so much that, that the, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't see this because so, so few people actually serve. And the military provides such an amazing way. They are the best, especially the Marine Corps. Sorry, I'm a little biased. When it comes to teaching resiliency, that mental and physical toughness, I mean, you learn that it's 90% mental, 10% physical. And I see people that, you know, it's not like the Hollywood, you know, where they show the guys where they're all muscled up and this is who your SEALs and your recon guys and your special, and it's nothing can be farther from the truth. These are everyday guys. You look at them and they're just average guys, you know, they're, they're not big, huge muscular guys. And you'll use... You can't even imagine what you get subjected to and what you go through. I mean, you're, you're carrying a ruck that's 60, 80 pound backpack and you're running anywhere from 20, 30 miles. Every day is a marathon that you're running with full combat load and it sucks. But you build this resiliency to where you're able to take yourself mentally and put yourself in a different place to where it's still going to hurt. There's still going to be a measure of misery, but you learn to embrace it and laugh at it. You learn to you know, say, okay, yeah, this hurts. Let's did it. Let's get some more, you know. Um, it sounds kind of sadistic, I know, but in, but it's it's hard to put it in words, but they teach you this resiliency this, that no matter what goes wrong, no matter what gets tough, no matter how hard it is, focus. Focus on the mission. Focus on your team. Focus on each other. And you, you're able to mentally focus on the things that are most important and the other things, and it, it kind of just puts everything up. Everything goes blurry, and then what you're focusing on becomes crystal clear. It's like your front sight. You're, you're focusing on that aim. Um, everything else just shuts down around you. And there's also that suffering. And when you're suffering with others, there's that, that, it's that camaraderie that builds into that. Like you'll be sitting there in the surf zone. The water's about 30-something you know, degrees. You're shivering what we call jackhammer, and you're, you're just a bunch of blue body guys. And one guy is just like, hey, it could be worse. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it builds that to you. And it's, it's a great thing to capture. And it's, I think a lot of us veterans have a lot that we can teach people, anybody, especially athletes and cancer patients that when it gets tough, you can still survive. There's, it's all we can, it can always be worse. Right. Somebody went through something worse and they, they're still here. Take a look at that. Right. Exactly. And when, you were diagnosed. Were you thinking, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me now? Because I've learned a lot. <laughs> and why is this happening? Did you question it? 
I did question it at first, but then I was like my faith. And, and when I, I was like, okay, I know you didn't do this. I know you didn't cause this, but you're going to give me the strength to get through this. And, you know, a lot of people have a hard time talking about that. And they forget that if you believe in Christ, if you believe in God, you got to know that there's the other guy and this is his world. This is his realm. So how do you beat him at his own game? I focus on my faith. I focus on the things that I know you're not going to be able to touch my soul, my belief, my love of one of other, one of others. So these are things that I, I grasped onto and I didn't blame him this time. I, I, I reached out to him and I said, well, I got to hand it to you, big guy. This does suck. <laughs> and I'm, I feel myself being a C C plus student. So Hopefully this isn't a test that's going to set me up for failure, but I'm going to pass this test some way, somehow. I'm going to just have to study and put the work in. But I think I used it from what I look at too now is I noticed from everything that's bad, there's always a good. There's a yin and yang in our universe. From destruction always comes growth. So as hard as this was on me, it allowed me to see not just other veterans going through cancer and realize that, okay, veterans out of Afghanistan and Iraq, one in four, one in seven, depending on where you do your studies, are coming down with various types of cancer to include colon cancer. So that was alarming. Then I also was able to learn and understand cancer on a level I never did before. So that too was I'm grateful for. I got to understand it now. Then the other part of it was I got to see these amazing people going through all these battles. And I met them outside of the VA too. I was meeting people out in the streets and stuff that were going through different various stages of cancer, different types of cancer. And each one of them were such an amazing person. You know, each one of them were this amazing novel, had these amazing stories of just gut-wrenching survival and how they were just like, you know what? I'm not dying. And if I do die from this, they're still not going to win. And I was like, you guys are awesome. Mm -hmm. And and I'm grateful because I got to meet, I got to meet, yourself. I got to meet all these people like Mark and so many other people in these two different cancer communities. And a lot of times I get choked up, but they're, they're just awesome people and their stories are incredible. Mm. That is so amazing. Yeah. And it just seems like it does parallel. I mean, obviously I've never been in the Marine Corps and never fought like that. Um, but I can see what you are saying about resilience because I've worked with so many people that just, and have spoken to so many people on the podcast that just have blown my mind with, with exactly what you're saying, you know, just having that attitude of, of not quitting and trying everything they can and, and living life and, you know, not being so afraid of dying, just they're want to live. And that's so, so inspiring. And it seems like you did exactly that. Yeah. You know, the thing that is, is that zest for life, you know, I tell people to capture that and also use a sense of humor. And a lot of people think, okay, sense of humor and cancer, that doesn't really go together. And I was like, do you know how we get through some of the worst combat over there where your, your average firefight is three to four feet? Comer, comic, humor. It's a dark humor, but it's a humor nonetheless. And it helps us to cope. And, you know, things like along the lines, like, you know, it, hey, we all lose our hair in some form or shape. And, and I, I noticed, too, one of the things that I'm grateful for and I learned, cancer does affect women and men quite differently. You know, I know women, when it comes to losing their hair, I, I can't even imagine how devastating it can be. It's just I, 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 my heart would go out to them and I would start crying with them. <laughs> you know, so it's devastating. 
But we had to look at it a lighter thing. And I said, well, look at it this way. You can always get back different wigs and you can get wear a mohawk that you always wanted to wear from the 80s and your punk rock days or whatever, stuff like that. So you kind of have to make light of it. Um, like with me, I, I lost my hair and my eyebrows. My hair grew back, but my eyebrows didn't grow back. So go figure. So oh. I just tell people, yeah, I wax them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I remember a really close friend of mine brought me a clown wig. It was like all different colors and I would put it on and it just laughed because I looked ridiculous, you know, <laughs> but you're right. But that's the thing. You learn to laugh at one another, you know, and I used to tell everybody, I said, hey, you know, great weight, weight loss plan. You know, you want to lose that extra 20, 30 pounds. Hey, what a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's for sure. Food's the last thing on your mind. You'll see food and you're just like, Oh, and I, you know, that, that was the other big thing was, you know, comedy and talking about food. You know, food is a great common denominator to talk to people about. And um, yeah, so it was one of those things where that, that whole, when it comes to the resiliency, you see these people and you, and you understand that it, how cancer affects different people, different walks of life. It affects, you know, men and women differently, but there's still a commonality there, you know, and there has to be an understanding too and learning. Um, I think a lot of it too, is sometimes what we, the resiliency that's hard, especially those of us that have survived or are going through cancer is our family. Now our family, they love us. They do support us, but they don't always say or do the right thing. Um, and sometimes it's like, all they want to talk about is cancer. All they want to talk about is your medical problems. And you're like, dude, just talk to me about fishing. Just come on. I don't want to think about it today. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want a sympathy. I don't want anybody crying over me. That gets old really quick and it can get very annoying. And I think that's the one thing people need to understand when somebody, your friend or family or loved ones going through it, try to be understanding, try to be a little lighthearted and try not to always focus on the cancer or, or the process or the treatment, but help them guide them through it. Great advice. Yes, because it, it is difficult and it's a per very personal, but I also tell people you can't do it alone. So build a tribe. This is why cancer patients, a lot of times we, we are tighter than our own family members sometimes because we get it. We don't have to explain it, you know? Exactly. Um, I'm on such and such. Yes, I'm doing such and such treatment. But I think a lot of it too is the best way to support it is if you know the person, like, um, you know, hey. I, like people that know me know that I'm not a big fan of, of pharmaceuticals. I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. I'm more into the holistic and the natural type stuff. And so we started doing our research. What are herbs that I could eat? What are the different things that I can do? How, what kind of foods could I eat? Are there combinations of food that can help me do this? And um, that's how I did it. I changed a lot of it. And I still ran um, and I can, I, I don't advise it. Running that uh, a day after your chemo treatment is probably not the best advice, but I did it because it, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to quit. There was no way that this thing was going to stop me. I didn't care if I was peeing blood. I didn't care if I was just couldn't stop puking or other bodily functions. I wasn't going to stop running. This just wasn't going to be a thing for me. And in a weird thing, at the end of my runs, even though the runs were miserable and I was nowhere near my old times, I felt great. I think by staying a level of fitness and changing my nutrition, the chemo still sucks really bad, but I seem to have shortened my time. I healed quicker between treatments. I felt better faster between treatments and it worked. Yeah, I'm sure. It did. 
it's the little things, you know, people need to stay active. And it, again, you don't have to be an ultra marathoner or a former Marine. This is something where go walk your dog, go walk outside. Um, just walk. Even when you don't feel like it, walk, try to do something and eat something. I know we get the mouth sores and sometimes we lose our ability to taste, but eat. You know, you have to feel your body. You have to, you know, you have to have that will to live and then, and then infest yourself with it and, and force yourself to get out there, walk, force yourself to get on a treadmill if you can, you know, do some band work instead of weights. If you're a weight type person, you know, yoga, try yoga. Yoga was amazing for cancer. Um, Pilates, there's, there's get any of the pool of you know, I'm a, I'm part fish. It's part of what the Marine Corps reconnaissance thing is. You know, we part fish. We're amphibious. Get in the pool. It's amazing how good you can feel. You know. Oh, I bet. Just bringing oxygen to the lungs and giving you that energy. Yeah. And I know anybody going through chemo would probably look at me weird, but cold plunge is a great thing. And I know jumping in a bat of ice water is not our idea of fun, especially in the way you're feeling when everything hurts, but. When I started doing clove plunging, I was on my third treatment and I have never had my body hurt so much to where my joints to where, I mean, I, I have not been in that kind of pain in a long time and getting into the cold plunge, it sucked bad, but again, embraced the suck and I felt good afterwards. I bet. And how long did you stay in the cold plunge? It depends on um, the first couple of times, maybe a minute tops. <laughs> I can see that. But you can get up to 5, 10, 15 minutes, and that's typically around the time frame. And again, it's not just something you jump into, even though it, you know, it's called the cold plunge. But you deal with you know, meditation, breathing, prayer. Um, when you get into it, you, you get into a breathing exercise, and you get your thoughts somewhere. And you try to control the thought process that your body's telling you to do. And you're, you're trying to focus and try to find calm, try to find that peace in the middle of that icy water. And then when you find that, it just makes you stronger. And you'll find that like, let's say you're having a bad day with treatment, or you're just having a bad day, you're out in town. And your family or your loved ones are just getting to you because it seems like they're only talking about you. Just take that deep breath, find that peace of calm. And let the let them do their conversation, let them do whatever they want. And you're, you're not there, you're focused on something else. Yeah, like you said, it's so much about mindset. I mean, you know, I think, oh, getting in that cold water. Oh, it sounds so awful because I'm, I love being warm. It is something I want to try. But as you said, you, you change that mindset and, and you can do anything. So I, it's just amazing. And I, you know, I think about, you were saying that you at one point wanted to commit suicide. I mean, how do you, how do you feel like you got out of that state? I mean, was it something that was like just a quick, you know, mindset shift or did you really have to, to work on yourself to say, I want to do anything I can to, to live and to be happy and thrive? It took a lot of work. Um, I'll be completely really honest. I had four attempts on one of those attempts. I was intoxicated and I was in my dress blues. I had the, uh, the firearm ready to go. I put it in my mouth, pulled the trigger, and the damn thing didn't go off. It dented the primer, but it didn't fire. I thought, well, that's odd. 
And then it realized that uh, something big or something was out there and I couldn't put my finger on it. And that was my fourth attempt, by the way. And um, I needed to get help. And I had a lot of issues that I had to take care of. You know, traumatic brain injury in itself comes with a lot of symptoms that you're not aware of. PTS, we could talk all day about it, but there's so much to learn from it. And there's still so much they don't know about it. And I think it becomes down to an acceptance. You know, I had to accept the fact that I had to change my entire mindset to change my emotions, to change my behavior. Like at the time in that mindset, I was hurting. I was mad. I was angry. My friends, I had been through almost 17 funerals over a four-year span. I was losing my friends, my family. I wanted to be with them. I didn't want to hurt anybody else. I just didn't want to be here. I wanted to be with my brothers and my family. It was the only brotherhood and family I knew. And they were taken from me. And I couldn't fill that void. Um, I was losing my marriage. I was in an unloving marriage. I, my friends and family, I didn't think they understand me, so I alienated them, cut them out of my life, put them away. And I just was, I just didn't want to be here anymore. Now I look forward to running towards my family, running towards my friends, running towards now with the exception of toxic people, but right. I try everything I can now. And I just, now I have this zest where I want to live. And even no matter what comes my way, the last thing I would ever think of is, is suicide because now I have this thing where I know I have worth. I am meaning, I have meaning, I have purpose. I have a mission. I have an understanding now. And I was going to be so selfish and so narcissistic that I was going to take this amazing gift that God gave me when, you know, I do have worth. I do have focus. There is, I, I, you know, I felt for the longest time that I didn't deserve to be loved. I didn't have the right to be loved. But now I do deserve to be loved and I, I earned the right, you know, so it's, Amazing. Beautiful. That's the whole change. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's so important to address because there's so many people that are struggling and you're a perfect example of someone who can be at that rock bottom place. And now you are thriving, you're helping others, you're, you know, full of life. So I just want to go into a little bit about, you know, because you mentioned diet and herbs and that kind of thing. And I know the audience is always interested in that kind of stuff. So what does your diet look like today? And is, are, are there things that you take regularly? I am do I do intermittent fasting. Um, but the first thing I do in the morning is I have a, I take multivitamins. I take D3 and zinc um, or, you know, all sorts of vitamin D has a plethora of stuff. I also take turmeric and ginseng. Ginseng is amazing for your stomach, by the way. It's just great. Turmeric helps with the swelling, stuff like that. And then I kind of stay away from sugar. I don't really do processed foods or carbs that much anymore. I do eat carbs because I need them for my running, but I eat good carbs, like, you know, whether it's sweet potatoes or potatoes. The meal I eat throughout the day, I supplement with a, uh, a protein shake that's got next to no sugars and keep the ingredients simple, something from eggs or whey. Um, and of course milk, but, but I use uh, lactose free milk because of my stomach issues. But so there's are things that I, I have changed my, on my diet. Um, when it comes to fruits and vegetables, I try to do as much as I can to get the farmer markets. 
I'm kind of blessed out here in LA. We have some amazing farmers markets, local people grow them local. So I know that where these ingredients come from, you know, I know what they're using. Um, my meat, sometimes I'm very picky about, I love my fish and I love my red meat, but I shop online now for family owned farms that, you know, you know where this animal was raised, you know what this animal was fed. So I'm very particular about that. Um, so those are some of the things that I had, I'd change. I don't want foods with chemicals in it. I don't want highly processed foods. I try to eat whole foods. Um, there's no magic pill. There's no magic this. It's just eating good food that you can grow in your backyard or if you can find local that are, you know, raised pigs or whatever kind of flavor you like. Um, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, that's perfect. Very helpful because, you know, people ask about that all the time and it doesn't have to be that you change everything at once, but just make those little steps because we're all on this journey. No one does it all at once. So I, I know cancer survivors are always looking, what can I do? What can I do to remain healthy? And, you know, there's so many things you can do, but one thing you can control is what you put on your fork, right? So that's, that's definitely something great to look at. And, you know, I thought about you and, and it probably took so much forgiveness. I mean, I, you know, when we hold on to resentment, that's when disease happens in the body. Yes. And I'm sure you, I'm preaching to the choir, right? You know, forgiveness is a powerful tool. I think the thing I still struggle with is trying to forgive myself. You know, I'm working on that every day. We're all a work in progress. But forgiving people, making amends, I can't, it's not just the mental health aspect, but that mental health will affect your physical health. You know, like I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm comfortable who I am. I like who I am. So that when I meet someone, I'm, I'm authentic, I'm truthful, I'm real. And that mental health aspect has, I believe, I strongly believe has helped my physical aspect. It's not about just quitting, you know, nicotine. I still drink. I just in moderation, you know, um, things like those little changes. But again, when it comes back to like you're saying forgiveness, it's such a powerful word that people do not give it the credit that it's needed. Forgiving yourself can often be difficult, but it's a work in progress. Forgiving others, we're usually easier to forgive others, to include people that have done some really horrible, bad things. Um, I'm still able to forgive them. You know, it's not easy. You don't forget, but you you have this freedom. I can't put it in words where it's like this 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 beast just came off your back. You're free now. You're actually free because I have forgiven that person. No matter what they did, I'm no longer going to give into their hate because it's not hurting them. It's hurting me. And I need to change. And I want to be able to feel good. I want to be able to heal. So in order for me to do that, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not forgetting, but I'm going to forgive you. God bless you. I hope you have an amazing, wonderful life. I hope maybe you find some change and you become a better person. And I think everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody, regardless of what they've done whatever crime or sin it is, we all deserve second chances and we all have the ability into us and through our Lord to change and change for the better. Mm, that is so powerful and, and such a good way to end this. I, I mean, I don't know if you want to give any last advice. You've given so many great tidbits, but any last advice for our audience and then we'll get into random round. Smile and love. 
love like there's no tomorrow. Just love. Mm, so great. Thank you. So are you ready for random round? Sure. Let's do it. Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is? Nature. The last show you binged and loved? Terminal List by Jack Carr. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Pray and meditate. If you could have a one-hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Paul. Because when Paul was Saul, he did a lot of bad and he changed. And he did the change that he did was amazing. And I resonate with that. What is your favorite go-to snack? Oh, that would be cashews. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? Believe it or not, all things country to include country music. Love it. What is on your nightstand? My Bible. What is your favorite form of exercise? I think I know it. <laughs> Running. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? All of the, uh, a little choked up, but all the most amazing people are in my life now that I've met and that I continue to meet. Mm. I can't even put that in words, the gratefulness I have for all of the, these amazing people on these platforms and on all over the place that I'm meeting. And it's just getting bigger and better every day. I'm, I'm, we're grateful doesn't cover it. Oh, well, I feel so grateful to have met you and I'm so happy to have you on. And I just wanted to ask you, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Um, right now, um, I'm still building a lot of the business, but the easiest way to contact me is through LinkedIn. Um, you can see my name right there, John Norad, and I'm on LinkedIn. Hit me up for a connection, DM me. Um, I believe I'll, I'll start getting some more things on there for websites, hashtags, and so forth. I'm going to start getting ready to launch live on LinkedIn to do some live events. I hope to have you as one of my guests. <laughs> I would love it. So. But yeah, that's the best way people can get in touch with me right now. Um, I'm going to have more open platforms for more people to get in touch. And I highly advise, you know, even if it's just a talk or an event, I got big shoulders. So, you know, I'm willing and ready to talk and, and to help anybody in any way possible um, because there is hope. There is a way out there. And um, no matter what, man, you're going to be all right. Well, thank you so much. You're a true gift. And I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Haley. I appreciate your time and you're amazing as well. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.